Just a friendly reminder that if you wish to support the ministries of this podcast or of the local church in which I serve, you may send any donations to 563 East Main Street in Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350, care of Henry's Chapel, UMC. Well, Merry Christmas. I know for some of you, you're saying Christmas is coming gone. We celebrated that already. But we are still in the season of Christmas. We are still in the season of celebrating the coming of the Christ child, the God in flesh, that God came to dwell among us to give us hope for tomorrow and a future. And aren't we always in the season of celebrating that? But I'm also reminded of a work by Howard Thurman, an influential American author, philosopher, theologian, educator, civil rights leader, and the list goes on and on and on. He was the dean of chapel at Howard University and Boston University before his death. And in one of his works entitled The Work of Christmas Begins, he points us to this idea that it's not just about Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. In his work, he says, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, that's when the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, and to make music in the heart. You see, what Howard Thurman is pointing us to is that Christmas is not the end. It is not the destination, but it is just the beginning. It is when we see God in flesh that we then are called to go and do the work of God. It's a, it's a call that says, okay, Jesus is born, now what? Or for some of us, it's the so what question. The king has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see God in flesh, and those who have walked in the darkness shall walk in the light. And with that in mind, we jump into our text of Isaiah 61, verse 10 through 62, verse 3. And we start off with chapter 61, looking at that idea of that Christ has come and that we may rejoice. It says in chapter 61, verses 10 and 11, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so Oh, the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. And this is that idea that we just saw in Christmas, right? And that all the nations are, are screaming out for the, the birth of the Christ child. They're rejoicing in Christmas and the reason for the season and all of those things. But then what we see in 62 verses 1 through 3 is this. It says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her vindication. And what he's pointing out to in this idea is that this is a community that is returning from exile. And as they return home, what they come to realize is that though they're expecting a paradise, what they have returned to is ruins. 
And so that's where we hear this idea of, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hands of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And so what he's pointing to in our text is this, that things are not as they ought to be, but but they can be. He's, He's pointing out that while, yes, we have received the Prince of Peace, there is no peace in Zion. But that that while we have the wonderful counselor, yet we're more the people are more divided than ever. And that while yes, we as we just celebrated Christmas have the Christ Child, our world is still in shambles. And this, while we hear it and know that it applies to Zion, how greatly does this apply to our world today? Well, yes, over the Christmas holiday, over literally Christmas, even Christmas Day, it seemed as though the dissension, the division seemed to be tampered by the love and the hope that Christmas may bring. We find ourselves right after immediately thrown back into this world of division and hate where there is no peace. But what this morning's text is pointing us to is this theology of hope that as we look at what is to come, we may look at it in spite of what we know what the what is. That as we look at the what we where we find ourselves, we know that things can be and should be and will be better because our hope is not in ourselves, but our hope is in the Christ. It does not mask where we are, but it does call us to look to where we have to go. It's not a looking back at where we have been, but a looking at where we are called to go. Because through Christ, the impossible of being renewed, of having that renewed relationship with God has now been made possible because we have been forgiven and redeemed by Christ. There is hope for a vindication and a rebuilding. And while the rebuilding of Zion will take time. It's just as though the rebuilding of our relationships may take time. We are called, though, to rebuild Zion, to look with honest hearts, minds, and eyes and acknowledge that the kingdom is in ruins and that it is not as it ought to be. As we look at the division and the hate in our world, which stems from our fear and hate of the other or the different, we must acknowledge in our world that diversity is a good thing. You see, I think that's where a lot of this division comes from as we look at the different and we say that that is what that is that scares me. I'm not going to go there because that calls and breeds in us fear and hate because it's different than what we are. And it may cause us to to change. But this is only possible through the idea of reconciliation with God and God's people. And this reconciliation of God and God's people is at the root of our text this morning. Seeking to be made whole and unified in love. Seeking to be as we were created to be as we rebuild Zion. To acknowledge that we live in an us versus them world, but to seek the transformation of 
for all people. Not just for us, not just to see them transformed to be like us, but the transformation of all people to acknowledge that none of us are as we ought to be. And as we seek this transformation, that we can enter the kingdom of justice and peace. And how poignant of a passage is this as we look back at 2020. A year marred and scarred by division. Racial division, political unrest, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, mask versus no mask. This This year has been marred by hate anger and division and distrust. We live in a world that is bred hate and division amongst us. That we are more likely to distrust than to trust. That we are more likely to question and be skeptical and push away the different than to bring in and listen and hear honestly. But there is a voice of prophetic love and hope crying out against the injustice, crying out for love of the oppressor and to comfort the oppressed with hope for the future. You see, that's the beauty of this prophetic language is that it's not simply saying we're crying out for those that have been oppressed, but it is also crying out to reconcile the oppressor and the oppressed. It's calling to bring all together. It's it's preparing us for the road of reconciliation ahead. It is equipping us with the promise of hope. And what is the promise of hope for us? In light of this racial, political, economic, and any other divide, you can imagine what is the promise of hope? It's the church. It's, it is the church, not as it is, but the church as it should be in Zion. It is the church that is called to be Christ-centered community of diversity. A church that is called to exist, to proclaim the power of God, to overcome divisions and set us free of being against one another. It is the church that we hear of when we hear that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free. There is no male or female for we are all one in Christ. This is the church that we are called to be, unified in the body of Christ, not seeking or or being defined by our divisions, but being defined by what unifies us, which is the Christ child, which is what we celebrated this past week in the Christmas season. It is the coming of the Christ that we are unified in God. The church is to live as a people touched by God's grace that we're no longer defined by those divisions that plague our world. I mean, you do not have to look very far to find a division, to find hate, to find those moments in our world where people are being pushed away from each other instead of brought together. And that is what has defined us for far too long. But too often our divisions of the world are not only out there, but they are brought right into the church. And instead of reflecting the light of God's grace and the light that Christ brought to us on Christmas, we mirror more a broken world than we do the unified love of God. We mirror more the broken current situation instead of the rebuilt Zion. But divisions or differences don't have to divide us, rather. 
So why do they? Why do we allow them to at work, in society, in church? Why does diversity so often bring hurtful divisions? You, you know we are called to be different. But for so often, the different, we allow it to divide us instead of unite us. When people look or act or think unlike us, we're not sure what to expect of them. And that makes us uncomfortable and fearful. And so in our fear, we have, we're tempted to strike out, to move away, or to physically strike. But this is why we see things like white flight in our societies, where when people come in and they look, act, or think differently than we do, we leave. We move away. We, we find ourselves driving through communities that look differently than us and locking our doors in fear. Or to a more extreme, this is why we hear names like Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and Jeremy Martis. Well, while yes, we must admit that difference causes us to be fearful, we must also admit that we live so often in a world that lives with the mentality of shoot first and ask questions later. And while we may say, well, I would never shoot someone's body, but we do take pot shots at their character. We do still live in a shoot first, ask questions later. And we live in the idea that we create and fabricate our perception of the different without getting to know them. And we feel justified because we imagine that we must defend ourselves, that we must put up the walls instead of getting to know people. We put up walls and barriers because they are quote unquote different. But it's all in our minds. The person who differs from us isn't necessarily against us as we would like to convince ourselves. But we find or we believe that our viewpoint or values are challenged by someone. And so we get angry. We, we don't even listen to their viewpoints or their values, but we found that they must be different because they appear to be different or because we believe them to be different. And so we get angry without hearing their side. And we can't hear their side because we feel attacked. And if someone hurts or angers us, we have a hard time believing that their heart is pure. And this happened in Jesus' day too. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, they weren't happy with how he challenged them and they questioned his motives and they claimed that his healings were even done by demonic power. But of course, we know that it was his accusers who had the real problem because they were acting out of fear instead of out of love. And this is what we're called to in our world today is to act out of love and not out of fear. I'm reminded of a story that I once read by Pulitzer Prize winner Studs Terkel. And he tells of this woman who was driving into a section of town almost entirely populated by the African-American community. And she noticed that folks were gesturing wildly at her and shouting at her car. And she couldn't hear what they were saying. But she became fearful and was certain of one thing, that these people were threatening her. And after driving a few more blocks, she made a discovery. 
And the discovery that was that she was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. And the people that she thought were threatening her were actually trying to help her. And what would it look like if we were willing to open our ears, our hearts, and our minds, and our eyes to the, to the different and to listen and realize that not everyone is out to quote-unquote hurt us, but some are out to help us. But we live in an I'm right, you're wrong mentality. And it leads to this destructively competitive society that we find ourselves in. I mean, wouldn't you th- take, for instance, the California delegation in the U.S. Congress? It has The Ca- California delegation has more representatives than any other state. And you'd think that they could accomplish a lot. But what we find is that the representatives have a knack for paying more attention to what makes them different than what they share in common. So rather than working together to promote the interest of the entire state, what we find is that they so often seek the interest of their little piece of the state, and in the end, all suffer. And it's that way in the church, too. We are intent on defending our turf, on promoting our own interests, forgetting the mission of all that Jesus prayed for his people, saying, I ask that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And it's that unifying love, but we have found ourselves only seeking our own wants and desires and agendas, striving for the mission of us and me as opposed to the mission of the church as a whole. We find ourselves seeking our own primary concerns as opposed to the concerns of God. But our differences are not just going to fade away in society or in church. So we must address them and ask the question of what can we do? What can we do to live with our differences and in our differences, but still honoring Christ and the church? And I think that we need to open our lives to change. I know that's a scary word for a lot of us, but we need to open our lives to change, thinking this idea that we think everyone else needs to change because we make our practices and opinions the standard of truth. This is the problem is is what I believe has to be true. And so I'm not willing to hear anything different because that may cause me to perceive it differently and to change. But mine is true. So everyone else needs to change. I'm reminded of the cartoon strip Kathy when I used to read the Sunday morning comics. She, I, I, I read one one time where she was talking about her boyfriend and she said, I know that Irving and I are totally different people, but we keep coming back to each other. And she said, down deep, I think that we both want exactly the same thing. We both want the other person to change. And isn't that just the way it is? But the reality is is we need to open ourselves up to that scary point of that there is a possibility that we need to change too. In that love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not demand its own way. And so if love, if we're acting out of love, we are not demanding our own way, but we are coming, seeking to understand the other's way and therefore opening ourselves to the idea of change. That guess what? I may be wrong. But we are too quickly judging others and their motives, so we're not willing to hear them because we judge them before we do hear. 
But as Romans 14 says, who are we to pass judgment on the servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. It's God's ability to judge, not ours. So rather than judging motives before we even hear them, what would it look like if we were willing to open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds, and our ears, and to honestly and purely and openly assume the best about others, about the other and their motives and not allow controversy over opinions or perceived motives to be the center of our conversations, but to welcome one another to the table because we need each other to do what God calls us to do in the world. It is only as we live with each other, differences and all, that we are whole and prepared to serve God. This is what God was, what we hear about in the body of Christ when we hear about we need an ear and we need a tongue and we need our feet and we need our hands that we can't do it one by one on one and everybody and everything can't be one ear. But what we need is for everybody to serve their purpose in their differences because we are all flawed and we are all need to be, we all need to be forgiven. But as we all need to be forgiven, so too we do we need to forgive. As Scripture tells us, we will be forgiven as we forgive. So when we come together with our brokenness, together we can serve God. Together through the reconciliation and the acceptance of the quote-unquote other, as we let our barriers down and come to the table willing to hear and perceive one another. But this only happens when we open up the, the idea that we may not have it all figured out and that we do need each other instead of saying, everybody just needs to listen to me. I'm reminded of a story I came across of two female uh, musicians and one was a black lady, one was a white lady, but they called their duo Ebony and Ivory. But perhaps more interesting than that was that both women were handicapped. One had lost her left hand in an accident, the other lost her right hand, and neither knew of each other until a third lady came to, to them and introduced them. You see, they had both been brokenhearted after their tragedy that they thought that they would never be able to experience the joy of creating music again. But this lady brought them together. And what happened was when the two one-handed pianists came together, they found that each other could supplement the loss of the other. And together they could play the music that they loved. And the black hand and the white hand were skillfully coordinated with each other. They, the maimed musician made beautiful music. And see, this is what we're called to do. To realize that I am not made whole until I am united with my brother and sister. I am not part of the body of Christ until we are all the body of Christ. I am not part, I am not unified in love until we are all unified in love. I am not brought together by myself, but I am called to be a part of the community. And that means listening, embracing, and and coming to the different and the other. Seeking them out, not waiting on them to come to us, church, because that's another problem that we have where we hide behind our doors and say, well, they'll come to us. No, we're called to go out and to listen and to be the body of Christ in this world that so badly needs to see, hear, and feel his presence. God calls us together in our brokenness and in our differences. Romans 15 says that we are to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed us. 
My friends, we are entering into a new year. We have the opportunity to rebuild Zion, to be made new, to be called by, as we hear in our text, a new name. What will that name be? How about the church? Amen and amen.